Welcome to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. When you get fire like that, that's the evidence that the covering of the house lays before the Lord. When you get fire like that, that's evidence that you have an intercessory team that does not play. They kick butt, take names, and win. When you have fire like that, that's because you got a worship team that understands that they're not singers, but that they are Davids. And when the heart of David falls and they become one sound, the heavens open up and the angels sing out, holy, 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 and that anointing falls down in this place. Hallelujah. Father God, I pray that you just have your way with this word. That it is not about me. Crucify me, Lord, that you may be raised up. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I'm trying not to look at people because I could start crying, so we're just going to keep moving. That's the last slide, Shara, the first slide. Yesterday I was on the phone with my pastor, and when you write a sermon, you think it's going to go another way, but if you open to God, you know it's going to go all kinds of ways you don't have no control over. And I called Pastor Steve because I knew he had been out of town, and I just want to hear. Like, it doesn't have to be in order or whatever. We could ramble on all day long. And what we begin to talk about, and he doesn't even know this, is he began to talk to me about um, his experience, but we wind up going into... Um, one of the pastors who is over, goes into Africa a lot and over Africa. And as I listened to him talk about it, he began to talk about revival breaking out in the Congo, revival breaking out in other third world countries. And my soul started to shout. And I was like, I want to know what that feels like, what that feels like to worship the Lord in a country that is so hungry and desperate for him and not distracted. What does that feel like? And then the Lord reminded me in that moment, and Pastor Steve, I have forgotten about it, that 18 years ago, I took a group of kids to Ghana, West Africa. And this is when I was in my black nationalist days. You can ask me about that on the sideline. <laughs> and even in that, though, I knew Jesus. I was saved, and I was confused, and I was angry, and I was hurt, and I was lonely. But one of the things Jesus started to do is he began to break my heart for humanity and not race. For his creation and not his colors. And when I went to Ghana, we were doing a rite of passage. Ask me about that later. It was crazy. For some of the young people. But many of us on that trip were Christian. And it wasn't popular to be a Christian. And some friends I lost because I was a Christian. Some of them still love me even though they're not Christians. And as we went out on the shore of West Africa on Ghana, the coast, right next to the dungeons, the slave dungeons, me and my goddaughter climbed up on this rock. We were crazy. I don't know what we think, but we were crazy. We climbed up on this rock on the very edge of the coast. And in that moment, it was she and I and the Lord. And a wave came over me. It was the grace of God I didn't go in that water. But in that moment... In that moment, while people were finding their blackness, I found Jesus. 
In that moment on the coast where people had been taken out to never return, I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't intending it. I didn't have my Bible. My prayer warriors weren't with me. My mama wasn't with me. And I thought I went for one thing, but what I actually went for was a third world country encounter with Jesus. Because in this third world country, Mama Linda, guess what? I didn't have my cell phone. And we were eating things that I have not eaten since. And I was wearing the same clothes. And my expensive Nikes, I left. And so on that rock in that third world experience, Jesus did something. Now, lately, I travel up and down the state of California, and I meet people in places like Shasta, where they fly Confederate flags sometimes, all the way down to the southern parts of the state. I get to drive all into these interesting places and sit amongst all kind of people that look like our ministry, actually. And the one thing that I have seen is that everyone is hungry for God. In every session, someone will say, I need Jesus. And what the Lord showed me is that we are a first world country economically, but a third world country spiritually. We are a first world country economically, but a third world country spiritually. We have higher divorce rates, higher suicide rates, we have higher rates of kids leaving the droves. There's articles about millennials leaving the churches in droves because we are a malnutrition country. And we've gotten so distracted by what the world has enticed us with that even if we love Jesus so much, I got to pay this expensive mortgage to live in the Bay Area. And even if I love Jesus so much, I've got to do what I got to do. I can't come to prayer because I got to do this. And so today, the theme that I'm going to be coming to you from is Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Jesus is at a point, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, where he is ready and it is time for our malnutrition country to experience a third world Jesus. Amen. All right, this is, wow, you can't really read that. This is one of my favorite scriptures, and I said, Lord, okay, where are we going? And he said, we're going to the boat. This scripture, before we read it, picks up after Jesus and the disciples have fed 5,000 people, okay? He had taken three loaves of bread and two fish. He blessed it to heaven and fed 5,000 people. We're not going to treat that today, but that's a whole treatable thing. If you all could stand for the reading of the word, because the word is so important that we put the distractions down. If your Bible app on your phone is a distraction, go ahead and put it down. That's a whole nother thing. All right, let's read. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went on to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone. 
And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Say it like it's true. It's a ghost. Say it like that. Okay. They said and cried in fear. We're in the lake. We got to really. It's a ghost. All right. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, then Peter got down out the boat. It continues to say, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we encounter this moment where Jesus took the 12 disciples and sent them away, he sent them to be consecrated. I'm sure they were exhausted after what they experienced. You ever been physically tired from working? But then the worst is the emotional tired or the spiritual tired because you poured everything out. And so I can imagine this was their first experience really like this where they were tired. So Jesus sent them on. But then what Jesus did is he went away alone and he prayed. And I want to stop and talk about this lonely place about encounter the lonely place. Jesus left us a roadmap on how to restore ourselves and get back in right relationship with him even after we've poured everything out. He shows us through his own actions that we all need a lonely place, that we need to encounter a place where there is no cell phone, no text message, no Facebook, no Instagram, no news apps. We need to encounter a place where my best friend's not there, where my mama's not there, where my husband's not there, where my children aren't there, where my pastors aren't there. A lonely place. But what the Lord showed me is that some of us are delaying our blessings because we can't get to the lonely place. We can't get our blessing because we're distracted by the noise. This is what's making us a third world country in the spirit. That cell phone, ooh, he beat me up on that. That is good and evil in your hand. See, there was a time where you could separate good and evil, where you could come to church, even if you was, anyway, where you could come to church and at least you had your Bible but you didn't have your sin as well, where you didn't have that app that draws you into lust on there, or you wouldn't have that ding where the devil could ding you and talk about your character, where you didn't have that vibration on your phone that makes you feel rushed that you don't have time for Jesus. 
distraction that could be a blessing because the Bible app is so beautiful. I'd love somebody to do a statistical um, analysis on the percentage of time we all use our Bible app as opposed to the percentage of time we use every other app. I actually think it'll be malnutrition. Because the other lie from the devil is let me put God on this little holy Bible app on your cell phone and it's enough to get a daily bing. But you got 15 other bings from everywhere else. Any of y'all got your banks on your phone? They give you a daily upload. That number comes through sometimes like, oh, yes, Lord. Other times like, oh, no, Lord. Right? You used to have to walk into the bank, get in your right place, and get your faith up to go in there. But now at any moment, he could come in here. Because in a first world country economically, that being means something. It means you could pay your rent, you can't pay your rent. You could pay that tuition, you can't pay that tuition. It means that check going to bounce and you don't want to tell nobody, but you know it's going to bounce. Or it means, God, I have more than enough. I'm not going to church to tithe because this is too much money to tithe. Who tithes this much money? We must get back to a place, church, where we are not afraid of the lonely place. When I think of my grandmother... She was the master of the lonely place. And see, what I thought when I was in Africa is that I could only have that lonely place on that rock. And so for years, I chased and remembered that experience over and over. But God is saying, you could have that in the moment. You could have that right now. You can have that at your desk You can have that in the restroom. Oh, that's a sanctuary. You can have that in the moment if you purged yourself from distraction. So when we talk about a season of fasting and prayer, let me be clear. Man does not call an effective season of fasting God does. You cannot get a breakthrough off a man called fast. You just may lose some weight and be frustrated. But when God calls a corporate fast, when he calls a prayer fast, when he sends the intercessors in the closet and the pastors on their face, when he calls us to fast, it's because there is something he is trying to break through. There is something he's trying to push us through. And while it's a corporate fast, it's a very individual fast. And so as we come off of this season of prayer and fasting, only some things can come out through prayer and fasting. And the thing is, we think that when God calls us to a corporate fast, it's optional. It's not optional. The distractions will delay your blessing. That breakthrough you could have got in 30 days may now take two years. See, I have found that fasting kind of fast paced your blessing and breakthrough or your purge forward. But pastor, I said, what's wrong with the fasting this year? Because I could feel it. And I'm a faster too and I struggle. And the Lord revealed to me, because some people fasting from the wrong thing. Some of us need to be fasting from those phones. 
I said, Jesus, we're going to preach about phones. He said, we're going to preach about phones for him. I said, all right. Convict me, Lord. Some of us cannot, your phone has become your crack. And your phone has become your God. And you could barely sit in service right now without that phone. And you can't hear the worship of God or the people cry out because you're worried about that phone. But don't you know if he kept it away for the elders and the generations ago, he'll keep it at bay for us? We are to have control and dominion over the land, but the land has now taken control and dominion over us, and the devil is so sneaky that he'll put it in something that you think makes you look cool, makes life feel a little more convenient. I could work, I could pray, and I could watch something ratchet all at the same time. And so... The devil has tricked us, y'all, because he made sin convenient. He made sin convenient, and then he made it private, because now you got to put a passcode in to get in your people's phones. And then he made it look pretty. They put a lot of money into what those little apps look like. In the season of 2020, in this new decade, the Lord is calling us back to him. In the holy of holy, when we see Peter, when we see him in the boat, can we go back to that second slide, please, with the um, come? Let's see what we see here. Y'all ready to go with me? Okay, so Peter was saved, right? Y'all think he was saved? Yeah, he was saved. He left his life, right? He was high-headed Peter. Some of y'all in here, you know what that means. The Lord is still working on you. I'm high-headed, so you don't see it, though, but he's working on me. And so he was saved. He had accepted Jesus Christ as Savior before he even got up on the cross, right? He had been sanctified. He left all the things that were tempting to him. He was probably in one of the holiest states he ever imagined, and he probably never thought he could be holy. He didn't even know what that concept truly was until he saw and met Jesus. He was sanctified. He had seen sign, wonder, and miracles. He just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with three loaves of bread and two fish. And my understanding is that the 5,000 are recorded of men, but that doesn't record the women and the children. His mind had been blown. If he had a wig, it was gone. It was gone. You see, he got that visual. Okay. It was gone. But then also, (laughs) it doesn't stop with salvation. It doesn't stop with sanctification got to get to transformation. You got to get to a place where you don't even recognize yourself. And you get to that place because in the place of salvation, 
where you sin over and over again and fall short of the glory of God, and then you realize that Jesus is Father and Comforter and the Great I Am, and all these names you hear about him, you realize what Abba means, and then you realize in the season of salvation, and some of us going through that about 10, 20, 30 years, but still in the season of salvation, you realize what it means that he's like no other friend. You realize what it means when everybody leaves you, he's still there. In that season of your salvation is where you actually get sold out. And some people step in and they step out and they step in and they step out. And while humans condemn them, God says, keep stepping in. That's that season of salvation. You know you did that sin. You know you, know you was off the hook. And he still used you. He still called you. He still favored you. He still blessed you. And sometimes he blesses you more in spite of the sin because now he needs you to really understand what him as a savior and a redeeming king feels like. That's that season of salvation. And then there's this season of sanctification. And this is why we are... First world Christians right now, third world, because many don't want to go into the sanctification. Or they want it on their own terms when I'm going to put my, my phone down, because I'm going I'm to do my Bible app for 15 minutes. But did you see what just happened on CNN or Fox News? Because that's more important than Jesus. But that season of sanctification, who? That's that fire. That's that you step into the fiery furnace. And you say, Lord, there's nowhere else to go. You step into that fiery furnace. And you say, I can't do this anymore. You step into that fiery furnace, that place of repentance. And can I tell you, true repentance doesn't happen before the people. It happens in the lonely place. I can say all I want in front of my husband, but what I say in front of God is what matters. See, sanctification is when you go in and you're consecrated, consecrated, set apart, where he takes that sin, all that stuff you've been struggling from for your saved life, he takes it away. He burns it off. My son last night, William, when I was prepping, he said, Mommy, what does it feel like to feel God inside of you? I said, this nine-year-old going to work me out. Jesus, come on, Lord. This why you send these kids to my house to keep me focused? I said, it feels like sanctification. Feels like a fire burning down in my soul. Some of you feel so good right now because you got sanctified. Whatever you walked in here, you walked into the furnace, and that worship fell down, and that fuego fell down, and that fire fell down, and whatever sin you had did, he burnt it right then and consecrated you. When you hear the cry out, when you hear the trumpets blare, when you hear the instruments go from a place of a worldly sound to a spiritual sound, that's because the heavens have now opened and God has fallen down in this place. And then some of you picked up those cell phones right after sanctification. Stay there. 
Pastor Mike, stay there. Stay right there. Stay right there. Remember what that felt like because God wants to invade your whole life with that feeling. See, when Peter got in the boat, he was saved. And when the waves hit, he was saved. But then when he saw the ghost, when he said, I see a ghost. When he saw the ghost and fear set in, he forgot who Jesus was. Because the fear of possible loss, the fear of depression, the fear of not breaking your sexual prowesses, the fear of losing, the fear of your mind going crazy, the fear of sadness, the fear of somebody seeing who you really are, the fear of all that will make you think Jesus is a ghost. Because the ghosts don't want you to step out. And the ghost doesn't want you to remember who you are. And the ghost has come to rob, kill, and destroy. And because we are so distracted, we are unaware that what we think is a blessing from God is actually a ghost. And because I can afford it now, because they gave me the credit to buy it, because I look well put together, because I'm educated now, it's okay. But Peter got to a place that was different than the other disciples in the boat. The disciples stayed in the boat. Oh, that hot-headed Peter. He just, I love me some Peter. He in the boat. And he gets to, can you flip to the other slide there? That's why I wear glasses now, y'all. It's not because Jesus didn't want to heal me. It's just because I'm 43. To the scripture. So he gets to the edge of the boat. He says, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay. Guess what? Before the storm, Jesus will speak. In the midst of the storm, Jesus will speak. Even after the storm, Jesus will speak. But the problem is we can't hear him before and in. We hear him after sometimes, but he's right there when the storm comes. The storm must come. The storm must come. Why? Because if there wasn't a storm, you wouldn't need Jesus. And if there wasn't a storm, you wouldn't have a testimony. And if there wasn't a storm, why do we need the cross? Because part of our human condition is that we are, we are flawed. And so when you're trying to run from the storm, run into the storm. Because when you get in the storm and you work that stuff out and you let Jesus help you out and you take courage and you know not to be afraid, then guess what? When you conquer that storm, it never can conquer you again. And here's the good news. You could bring 10 people through the storm now. You're not conquering your storm for yourself. Peter wasn't conquering the storm for himself. There was a boatload of disciples who were called, chosen, set aside for God's glory. And they may not have been the rock that God would build his church on, but each and every one of them had a call for God. By the 
the time they died, they would be unrecognizable because who were they born of, where they came from, no one even cared. They just cared how they lived their life for Jesus. All right. So Peter's out on the edge of the boat. He says, ooh. Now, I said, Lord, you got waves in the lake? And then I read there are some lakes that have waves. So, okay. So he's in the boat, and the waves are there. And he says, Lord, if it is you. Okay. But they thought it was a ghost. How do you know it was the Lord? Because in the season of saved and sanctification, he knew God's voice. You don't wait till you get to the storm to start knowing his voice. You start learning that voice when you encounter the quiet place. Because the devil is loud, and he sounds good sometimes. Just saying. But it's in that quiet place. When you accept Christ for the first time, and I'm not talking about the type that you accept because your mom and daddy told you to accept them. But I'm talking about that accepted that William was talking about. Mommy, what does it feel like? I said, he accepted Christ, but he ain't accepted Christ yet. Because when he gets there, I will not be able to tell him what it feels like. He'll tell me what it felt like for him. He'll tell me he heard the voice of God. And in that same season of his life, he will hear the Lord call out to him. He will hear the Lord when he is sinning and doing something he shouldn't be doing. And I know my son is going to do something he shouldn't be doing. It's part of his path. Parents, get over it. It's going to happen. But do what the intercessors do. Do what the grandmamas do. Get on your face and pray. Because somebody got you through that season of your life too. That's where he's going to learn the voice of God. When he's doing something he ain't supposed to be doing. And even when he's doing something he's supposed to be doing. That first heartbreak, he's going to hear the voice. That first time, that first time he don't get accepted to the school he wants, he's going to hear his voice. That time his mama going to almost, he's going to hear the voice because he did something he wasn't supposed to do. And then, right, Pastor Mike? Okay, right. And then Peter knew him in that sanctification stage, in that place where he was broke, where all had left and forsaken him, in that place where he couldn't go in that fiery furnace where he had to face himself, where he had to say, this is me, Lord, wretched. This is me in secret. And maybe the intercessors and the pastors can't see it. Maybe my mama can't see it, but I can see it. And in that place, he heard the Lord say, confess and believe. Repent, and I will cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. In that place, that's where he learned, I am the great I am. Do you, have you ever heard God say that? When he says that, it's like a thunderous cloud. You, whoa. Okay, God. Oh, wow. When he calls himself the I am in my life, I know it's about to go down. Okay? I'm just saying. You're like, okay, here we go. So then he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. When you know that voice, you don't care what the world says. You don't care what gravity says. There is something in you that shuts it all out. 
you go into this place that it's just me and Jesus right now, that I'm locked on him because I knew him in the lowest of low and I knew him in the highest of high. And if he tells me to do the impossible, there is nothing else I can do but do it. I am now stepping in to my place of transformation, the place where my character, the old character is gone, the place where my old sin doesn't bind me anymore, the place where I put down distractions with joy, the place where I crucify myself every day, the place where I know that if Jesus is there, that's where I got to be. The place where I may be living in a first world country economically, but I'm not going to be a third world Christian spiritually. I'm going to be different. The place where he says, come. So Jesus said, come. Peter stepped out on that water. That courage right there. Peter stepped out on that water. And then Peter got down out the boat. He walked on the water and he came forward. Jesus. He did it, y'all. See, some of y'all have ran ahead to him sinking that you forgot he did it. Because in this scripture, we have a tendency to go ahead and move on to what he did wrong. Okay? Because that's how we treat ourselves, right? Peter did it. He took the step. Jesus knew he was going to look down. Jesus knew he was going to doubt him. You weren't surprising God when you did that. But Peter's faith was so great that he said, even if I fall, even if I sink, even if I drown, I'm going to drown with Jesus. Peter had enough faith to know that even if I go to the depths of this ocean, there is nowhere I can go that he is not there. And I'd rather die in the water with Jesus than stay in the boat with the world. Jesus is calling some of y'all today into your transformation. You've been saved long enough. You've been sanctified long enough. He said, come out those prayer closets. He said, stop hiding your gifts and your anointing. Jesus is ready to move you, some of y'all who haven't accepted Christ, today is your day of salvation. Today is your day of salvation. And then some of you all that just been living saved a long time, today is your day. Today is your day of sanctification. You got sanctified. Some of y'all was like, did I just shout? Oh, my gosh, I shouted. Ooh. I lifted my hands and Pastor Portia didn't tell me. Oh, something happened in my heart. Oh, if I wasn't in this church, I would run right now. Some of y'all, your low self-esteem didn't get in the way. Your race didn't get in the way. Your age didn't get in the way. That depression didn't get in the way. That sin didn't get in the way because when the fire fell, it sanctified you. And then there are those in the room that are ready for the transformation. Now, 
before we go there, there's some of you trying to run from salvation to transformation because you don't think sanctification is for you. Or I just can't do that. I can't turn down my flesh. I'm cool. Don't nobody know. You just want to get to the anointing without the preparation. You just want to get to the anointing without the preparation. But I'm going to tell you, whoa, hold on. Because you want that sanctification first. Because that transformative place, it ain't no joke. Once you go there, that's what you die to. And if you're not ready for that, the devil will come in and ravish every sin that you didn't cast down before you got there. Some of us are distracted by our sin. We just want the blessing. But God is protecting you. He's protecting you. He's saying, grab hold of it. Let me purge it out of you. Let me get you to your next place. Because when I take you in that transformation place, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to be broken. I don't want the devil to take you out. I want you to say, when I say come, I want you to come. And some people won't come because they're afraid of what the devil will expose in that transformation place. Today, y'all, Jesus is calling. He is not playing up in here. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little hood sometimes. My mama's here, sorry, mom. But that's how serious it is. Today, Jesus is calling. Pastor Mike, all week long, after Pastor Portia preached last week, every silent moment I had, all I could hear was Jesus is calling. And I actually hadn't heard this song before because I wasn't here that day. I said, Lord, give me more than that, Jesus. Give me more. That's all he said. Tell him Jesus is calling. That's all. Tell him I'm calling. I said, Jesus, why? He said, because my children are malnutritioned. And I'm ready to raise up a church in this country that will be able to stand for the generations to come. See, the reason why we're here is because when revival broke out in this country in 1906, they broke out so hard at Azusa that that fire fell, and we are still saturated by that anointing. But don't you know God wants to usher it through you now? For another generation. What if Peter had never gotten out that boat? What if the disciples had never left everything? What if Jesus hadn't come? He's saying today, I want you guys to close your eyes. This is your decision time. It's personal. The Lord has a hit out on you. I don't know your name, but he does. He told me, you don't need to know. I got this, boo. That's how he talks to me sometimes. I got this. Just close your eyes. And I want you to listen to these words as if you are in the boat of your life right now. Pre-salvation, salvation, sanctification, or transformation. Jesus is calling you. Hurting and broken within, overwhelmed. 
to come to the altar when you're ready Have come you to come the altar to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling to
purification fall down on you right now. today you accepted him he's been calling you you didn't roll him over the voicemail and as you just saturate in him chase this feeling because the world is ready to distract you as soon as you leave this anointing but grab it Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. Chase it in your home, in your schools, in your car, in your relationship, in your health, in your finances. Grab it. Take it with you. It's yours. It was bought with a price. The blood of Jesus shed it for you. It's not just for the church house. It's for the church people. You are the church. Jesus told Peter, two 
I will build my rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he became the rock that the church was built on. And in this decade, Pastor Portia, we will no longer be a third world Christian, but we will see the transformation of this land and the coming of the Lord in the hearts of his people. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit EncounterJesus.us or search for Encounter Church San Leandro in your app store.